This the remix. We belong, and they should know that, and they do know that. And they knew we had an opportunity, uh, which they earned that opportunity. We just didn't close it out, you know. And those guys made the plays, and it's a credit to them over there. But, but I do feel growth from our team, and I feel us getting better. He was pissed off. He was just said, "We got, we have to go," you know. And uh, I, I agree, <laughs> you know. So. Me and him on the same page. We, you know, there's no uh, animosity there at all. We're on the same page. We, we, we got to win. You know, we got to come out here and have some some grit to us, some mentality to us. We got to be able to win these these football games. And you know, so those guys are out there battling every play. You know, in offense, we got to be able to capitalize. So yeah, no, there, there's nothing there at all. Satisfied with the effort? We just got smashed. Like, what are we talking about here, guys? Did you get any explanation on the Hunter Henry catch that was over? Why don't you guys go to the officials with your pool reporter and ask them about the play and let them explain it to you, right? Like, isn't that what you do? Thank you. Dart takes a snap, fakes a pitch, shovel pass no. ahead, busted up. State picks it up, an incomplete pass. The Bulldogs' defense has stopped them. The two-point try fails with 1.25 to go, and State clings to a two-point lead. Call two timeouts to get that play call in, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then got like a 10-year contract. Uh, all right. Hold on. Can we Can we, Can we? we please? I love Bill Belichick going, you guys know you can send your pool report. Like, do you guys God. not read the media guy? He's such an a-hole. I love it. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. You guys know you guys can send a pool reporter to go talk to the refs. They're available after the game. Instead, you're talking to me like a bunch of dumbasses. Oh. All right, I have an uh, important, uh, I don't know what to call this, but very important to get into something on UNLV football really quick. Okay. Uh, because they, they beat Nevada, and we spent 7 o'clock talking about bowl game scenarios because uh, go play a 13th game. Come on. But they win the, the cannon, right? Yep. And I loved that game. That's one of the most entertaining sporting events I've ever been at. It was excellent. A combination of bad football, some good football, some bad coaching decisions, and of course a close game, right? So we got a 13, nothing Nevada lead because they blocked a punt and had a big punt return and had a 75 yard touchdown. Dude, they blocked the bleep right out of that punt. Like, (laughs) like the punter, I was genuinely like, the camera cut away, and he was in the air about to land on his head. And I was like, I think the punter may have died. All of that happened in, like, the first seven minutes of the game. And then UNLV comes back, takes a 14-13 lead. Why? Because on a fourth down, Nevada goes for it, and their quarterback has one of the worst tosses to a wide receiver you're ever going to see. It gets picked up and returned for a defensive touchdown. And then a 49-yard touchdown pass. Like, all of that happened in the first quarter of this game. We also got a UNLV touchdown on simultaneous possession. For some reason, Harrison Bailey threw it into, like, triple coverage, and Kyle Williams just decided, I'm going to go catch it anyways. But the safety also caught it for Nevada, but it was a touchdown because it was simultaneous possession. We got a hilarious Harrison Bailey interception. He threw right to a linebacker as he was getting hit. We also got... Two funny Nevada interceptions. Nate Cox had one that hit off his wide receiver's hands, off one of UNLV's linebacker's hands, and into the arms of a cornerback. And another one where Nate Cox tried to jump and throw across his body. Oh my God, that was great. On the same play, 
actually had a receiver open. If he had any arm strength, it would have been a completion, but he didn't because he was jumping and throwing across his body. So it got picked off. That was all phenomenal. And then final drive of the game. Nevada's down five. They tried a double pass. Oh God, it was so in bad. The two minute drill. They threw it to their running back who then tried to throw it down the field. He got hit as he was throwing. So it was an incomplete pass. Who calls for a double pass in the two-minute drill? This game had it. And then the dumbest coaching decision of the game, Nevada, down five, gets to first and goal with 21 seconds left, and they spike it. Yep. Just incredibly stupid. They, By the way, the game ended, or their final drive ended with seven seconds left. They could have just (laughs) run a play, and it would have been fine. But they took a down away from themselves and spiked it. And then... We got the best thing you can possibly get in football, and that is a do-or-die fourth-and-goal play. It's the best thing you can get. Fourth-and-goal, it's a five-point game, so one team has to score a touchdown. There's no field goal to tie it and send it to overtime. It's touchdown or you lose, and we got that on the final play, and UNLV's defense made a stop. That is one of the most entertaining football games I've ever seen. The amount of stupid plays in that game, off the charts. The amount of good plays partially because there were some stupid plays by the opponents, but off the charts. Phenomenal. Loved every minute of it. Has anyone ever told you that you sound like John Mulaney? Yes. yes. Really? Yeah. The cadence is uncanny. That was like a perfect we, little we get encapsulation. It. Yeah. We, well, I'm glad I'm not the first one with yeah. that idea. Well, but. we actually have an open that is specifically just, I specifically put together so that it, yeah. like, the way that you talk sounds a lot like him. Slightly related. Uh, the security at the parking lot before the UNLV football game uh, called me Tom Holland. <laughs> I don't want to go that far. Aren't you like, you're way taller. Yeah, I was about to say, aren't I was you like sitting, short six, kings? I was sitting in the car, so it's not like he saw oh, how okay. tall I was. Yeah. But called me you Tom Holland. You have like the long, weird hairstyle he's got going on right now, too. It's, just, it's not quite a mullet. I don't know. He asked me where Zendaya was at, and I said, if I had Zendaya, I probably wouldn't be at a UNLV football game. Facts. So, facts. Yeah. So I sound like John Mulaney, and to one guy, I look like Tom Holland. Huh. What a combination. Yeah. A lethal combination. But I just wanted to let everybody know that that, that football you look game. look like Tom Holland. Well, that too. But well, that, and, that and the greatness game, that was the UNLV football game. It was phenomenal. Like, it, like it, it was excellent. I can't. It was like, a clown show. I could not. I couldn't get enough of it. It was great. Genuinely. And I, I think you even mentioned it, but the pass where it was a deep pass by Nevada and Two UNLV, one UNLV cornerback is like obviously not going to get him, but he goes ahead and runs into the one who actually could catch him. So that way it is a 40 yard touchdown. It's a great play. Like there were so many bad plays that it was entertaining from that regard. And then there were also like, there were good plays because like UNLV scored a defensive touchdown because of a terrible toss. But Jonathan Baldwin was right there. He didn't fall on it like a moron. He picked the football up and ran it in like 40 something yards for a touchdown. Great game. Uh, absolutely phenomenal entertainment. Like UNLV football has played some very entertaining football games because they're about as good as most of their opponents. And there's enough bad football that you're yeah. like, this yeah. is fun. The The Mountain West really needs to be featured on like the slime, the, the Nickelodeon slime time uh, game where we need like sound effects of whoop. Boing. <laughs> like it, every, every play needed almost a cartoon sound effect. It's great football. All right. We're happy for you. Now I've got um, important Golden Knights questions. 
They yeah, kind of wasn't very enjoyable to watch them. Play yeah, they kind of suck over the last seven games. Yeah, um, and they've dropped four of their last five division yeah. games, and specifically the last two. Yes, Bruce Cassidy after the most recent loss, he gave uh, an answer that I thought was fairly interesting. Basically, that they he said they expected the goalie play to level off. Yep, because they get off to the thirteen three start, and it's like Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill are like, oh, they're the two best goalies in the whole league, or something mm-hmm. stupid like that. Which obviously you're not expecting those two to be that good, but have they been? Have those two been bad over the course of the last seven games, or the last five games, or maybe just the last two? Like, how much blame is this very short lull in the season? How much blame do the goalies deserve? I mean, they haven't played obviously as well, but it's more about situations that they put themselves in the goaltenders. Like, are you making the right saves? Are are you controlling your rebounds? Well, but then there's also the result of the play in front of them. And that was also something that Bruce Cassidy was sure to note because they've spent a lot more time in their defensive zone. Like we were talking about earlier uh, in the program today, which is by design, for Bruce Cassidy, but here's the, here's the problem. When you spend so much time in your D zone, there's going to be more shots from the point because you're going to start to compact. You're going to start to kind of get run around or at least corralled in by like a bunch of cows. And then it becomes like a pinball shot blocking issue Mm -hmm. because I'm a huge fan of letting goalies do their jobs. And so I sometimes get a little bit pissed off when people are trying to block shots every two seconds. Like it's one thing when Alec Martinez is just going like an extra two feet when he's the first guy in front. But there's been a few times like Nick Hag went out to block a shot and and he's turning away from the play and trying to catch him. Like, what are you doing? What favorites. are you planning to do? <laughs> like, what, what leads What's you to make plan? that decision? Because it doesn't make any physical sense. It doesn't make any strategic sense. Because guess what? The goalies are in tons of pads they for a, a reason. We have a glove. We have a blocker. We have your stomach. We have all of these things that help us take up space. And the fewer disruptions to the puck path there is, the better. And that's why you're like, oh, I want to see shots free and clear. And People always say, well, you can't, beggars can't be choosers. You either want people to block shots or they don't. There are better times to go than others. And when you get caught in the zone for a long time, first of all, there's just going to be a higher frequency, but then you're getting more tired. You're getting stuck in there. You're not being able to change. And when you start getting tired legs, your brain start make, making dumb decisions. And so I think where a couple of pucks that are ending up in the back of the net that weren't early on in the season are a result of just these 50-50 battles essentially that happen where the puck gets deflected like six times. You're like, oh, why did Thompson get it? But also, I can say that Logan Thompson specifically, I've been very close, wa- closely watching him and how he gets ready to receive the puck and when he gets down in his stance. And he has been late to set his stance as of late. And that's creating problems where... He might get a save, but the rebound is right there. Or he might not get a save, and he's not really able to react in the same way that he should be because he's a tall guy, very long, and he says he's a very low goaltender. He said that to me after a game a couple weeks ago, which is true. But when he's tracking the puck, when the play is up top and it's moving around the outside, he stands up. And there's a certain amount of distance that he has to sit down into in order for him to be in his stance and be able to fire and have that reactive save. If you're not in that set stance, you cannot call that up from your body. It's not there. It's like a gun. You can't fire it because it's not locked and loaded. And that's where I think he needs to do a better job or there needs to be an adjustment um, in addition to the Knights just playing better in front of him. So here's my curiosity. The whole um, 
like the Bruce Cassidy system, like you said, it's by design. They're going to spend a little bit more time yep. in their defensive zone. They have not uh, not necessarily shots and goal, but just total shots. If you include block shots and miss shots, Corsi. Uh, they have even when they were <laughs> even when they were thirteen three and zero, they were generally losing the Corsi battle. Yeah, but they were winning the high danger and the scoring chance battle. The Golden Knights were getting more quality chances than their opponents, right. even though they were giving up a lot of shots from the point or whatever it was. Does that need to be changed at all if they're playing poorly and they can't get out of their zone, like you were saying, and they're they're giving up more goals where yeah. it's they're stuck in for thirty well, seconds if I'm at a time? Stuck in the defensive zone for two minutes and all of a sudden I get maybe you're still in the same shift, and this is where the, the problem is where you don't want to get stuck down there because then you get one guy who takes the puck alone and it's one V three and he's trying to dangle while everybody else is changing. Like you're not gonna get a sustained offensive chance or even like a high danger chance, like high danger chances are from you either making people make mistakes or you tiring them out unless it's on the rush. And we're not trying to play on the rush with this team because it creates more problems than it's worth. And we're not converting at a high enough rate where it would make it uh, a sustainable level of play. And so, yeah, you have to change the way that you go and play in the offensive zone if you know that you guys haven't been able to actually set up shop in there and get some decent chances. You have to make better decisions. You can't just go straight to the boards within five feet of the blue line or trying to do a drop pass every two seconds. Like there was a power play the other night where they're offsides two, three times. Because they're like, we have to pass it within five feet of the blue line because that's really going to set them off. I'm like, somebody take the puck low, drive it to the net, and let's see what happens. Because then you have to force their defenseman to make a mistake. You have to, they have to make a decision, and you have to make them play in the dirtier areas. Otherwise, you're just giving them freebies to take and go the other way. Put Will Carrier on the Hell yeah, PowerPoint. he's their best freaking player. He's the only <laughs> one that drives to the net. He's the only one with driving privileges right now. And it's because he's holding his weight differently. But there's just, like, there's... There's a confidence that comes with that. And it starts when you make that split second decision of like, okay, I'm going to get a couple of extra steps in here to increase my speed. And I'm going to overtake this defenseman. Did, did you like the reverse retros? I did. I thought it was uh, a really, really cool presentation. Obviously, we a lot of us have seen the the tunnel footage of, of Thompson walking out and the, all the laces where and the, and the chin straps and stuff. I thought it was great. And um, I like the jerseys more than I thought. I didn't like, I don't like the script as much. But they're really solid overall sweaters. Jerseys are phenomenal. The Golden Knights need to only wear gold and black. Yeah. I was like, we, we have to burn these because no, no. they lost in them. No, no. They, they wear those. They, they wear, wear the those. gold and the black. Yeah. A lot they of people are do, calling for the retirement of the gray ones. And the white ones. The gold and black are the two best. Wear them all the time. Um, I will say, I don't know why I was expecting this, but I was slightly disappointed. The, the shot in the tunnel yeah. was great. I, when I say it out loud, it sounds unrealistic, but I thought the jerseys would be glowing in the dark when they took the ice in the dark. Like, yeah. We're like, when I say how, it, I'm like, how vibrant is this going to be? Right. When I say yeah. that, I'm like, well, that does seem kind of unrealistic for yes. that to happen, but that's, that's what I expected. Yeah, I was yeah. like, they're going to take the no, ice. You were sold a product. Right. And they're right. going to be glowing. Like, wait, the black light has to be directly on them right. for this to work? And like, obviously I'm like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's no. just I thought they were going to be glowing on the ice. So I was a little disappointed. I was like, oh, they're not walking LED yeah, They're lights. not the, the Dallas Stars reverse retros from last year that are like highlighter green. Yeah. Those would probably actually glow, but it's because they have like plasma in those. But even if they didn't glow in the dark, I think the jerseys look phenomenal. Yeah, they and look they should, great. They should, wear, they should be one of their top two worn jerseys. With seven the more times to rectify it that should, awful it game. It should be more. Uh, they should be wearing them more. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. 
And that's how you scrabble. Brazil thought they scored, but it just got ruled out for offside. So Brazil and Switzerland still scoreless. We are in the 67th minute. Uh, This is game two for Brazil and Switzerland. Uh, By the way, this is your World Cup update tomorrow and Wednesday. Uh, ESPN Las Vegas is going to be out at Parkway Tavern in the district. Uh, Tomorrow, the United States plays Iran at 11 o'clock. And on Wednesday, Mexico is playing for their World Cup lives uh, against Saudi Arabia. So we'll be out there at 11 o'clock, both Tuesday and Wednesday at Parkway Tavern inside the district. There are $4 Miller Lite and Coors Light drafts, plus $20 Corona and Corona Seltzer buckets. So come on out and watch the World Cup with us. All of it powered by Finley Toyota in the Valley Auto Mall. I didn't realize you just moved it a day because it was supposed to be today and I was really excited. If I show up, can I get paid? If I'm a, if I'm a fan? All right. Putting on my manager hat? No. Damn. <laughs> but you can I'm enjoy, here to incentivize others to join us. Come on down. Yeah, you can have $4 Miller Lite and Coors Light drafts, though. I might need it to watch this sport. Nobody scores. Come on. on. No one scores. It's are you worst. literally like, are you going to do the whole bit where it's like, there yeah, were five but they goals. have to have a goalie. I just, I. You just watch people run around. Yeah, but you missed a fantastic South Korea and Ghana game. No, at 5 I watched half of morning. it. I watched half of it because I was in here also at 5 a.m. and didn't do very much for me. There were five goals. Why in were it? you Three here at 5 a.m.? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see any of the goals because I was deep in prep. Okay, <laughs> this doesn't just happen overnight. I didn't see any of the goals. I didn't see any of them. <laughs> There were five in one game. I, I know. A little, it's a hockey score. I, I could not tell you what would happen on a one of them. All right. So here's what we got for the United States. They play Iran tomorrow. And it is as simple of a situation as you can be in, in a group stage situation. If the United States wins, they advance the round of 16. If they lose or draw, they are eliminated. That's it. That's the scenario. They can win the group or finish second, depending on what happens in the England and Wales game. But all of it comes down to, can the United States beat Iran? If they beat Iran, they're on to the round of 16 and everybody is happy. Well, I'm happy. I don't know if everybody's happy, but they're on to the round of 16. I'm never happy. Um, The reason I normally have to take pills to be happy. This is set up this way is because Iran beat Wales. Two to nothing. Wales. They scored two goals in stoppage time. I think it was 96th and 98th minute of that game to beat Wales. And the United States drew with England. Scoreless, uh, just like Lindsay likes. No goals in that game, and the United States got a point. So, a win against Iran, and they go through. Here's the interesting part. The United States so far in this World Cup, their first half against Wales was excellent. They weren't the greatest offensively. Uh, they did score, but they w- Wales didn't have anything in that yeah. first half. Second half against Wales, they got their teeth kicked in. The United States sucked in the second half against Wales. But then in two halves against England, they were pretty damn good again. Again, they struggled to create really good chances. Scoring goals hasn't actually happened a lot for this country. But you said that that was probably the prediction for this team is that they didn't really have any finishers, so it was going right. to be really tough for them. And the bigger problem is they aren't even creating great chances for the finishers to finish. Oh. So Deeper even if they... Deeper layered problem. Right. So that's been an Got even it. bigger issue here. But 
England, who again scored six goals against Iran in the opener. England, who is one of the best in the world. Their expected goals in that game was 0.54. That is tremendous from the United States, whose expected goals yeah, was, what the hell, Harry Kane? was where are 0.6. You? England, where yeah. they kidnap eight-year-olds and send them to special soccer schools and to train them for this sport. Hey, I think as an eight-year-old, I would have loved that. Oh, the boarding? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I just, boarding school only gets gnarly when you're in your teen years. I, I just think it's insane that literally everyone always wonders, why doesn't the United States do better? We're, we have such a bigger population because other countries go, that eight-year-old's fast. Get him to the soccer school. Yes. Well, and capitalism <laughs> says nuclear family is the way to go, so that's how we roll. The United States against England, the biggest key in that game is that the U.S. was awesome in midfield. The United States roster, we have a really good midfield and really good wingers. Yeah. Our back line is fine, and our strikers have basically been bad for ever, probably. But our midfield is very good. England has a better midfield than the United States, but the gap is not far enough that they're uh, that they're just obviously going to dominate. that big of an advantage. Right. Yeah. So the United States played better in midfield in that game, and when they play Iran... Iran's not terrible by any means. They just beat Wales. But the United States midfield should be able to dominate this game. If they play anywhere close to how they played in the first half against Wales or the entire game against England, we are going to dominate. But here's the key. Iran is probably not going to try to score. Correct. Because Iran likely goes through with a draw. And so, and Iran, even if they needed to score, they probably wouldn't try to score until the last 10 minutes of the game anyways. But that's going to be their strategy is to sit back, let the United States have the ball, don't give up a goal, and then we're going to try to steal a let goal somewhere. Let them tire themselves here, out. Basically. So the United States go a long way to help if they can score a goal early because then Iran will have to try to score. Right, which could open, open up more chains. Exactly. But in reality... Soccer. It's very similar to hockey. I know. That's what I'm just saying. You're a quick midfield. I'm like, oh, so we're going through our neutral zone transition, hoping to catch him on a change. Yeah, I got you. So I'll be curious to see, uh, can the United States midfield create anything against a team that's sitting back? And then can we score? Like that's ultimately we have to score. We have to score a goal to advance. And it'd be great if we shut him out again. But if we don't score... We're not advancing. I don't so, think we should advance if we can't score any goals. Like that's just, score. I well, just he scored one, <laughs> just one. It, it helps. I mean, in soccer, one is all you need. Yeah. Why are they so good at midfield? Is it because they're they're good at like the contesting 50-50 balls, or is it that they're quicker that they have good passing? Like, what makes them good? Uh, Tyler Adams was excellent against England. He is very good defensively. He basically won every tackle he had Got to. It. He had to. There weren't that many, but any time he had to make a tackle to prevent a chance, he did so. Very quick, didn't even give up the chances. And then Eunice Musa is terrific. It's like 22 or something like that. He's terrific. Very quick. Hope he's better very, when he's 26 because it's not working out well. <laughs> ball progression is very good. He gets the ball in our defensive half, takes it to the offensive half. Very good. Okay. And then Weston McKinney is my favorite player. A great name. Yeah, love that but guy. But he has an alley. A lot. Um, he does. I think he'll I think he'll be fine for this one. We'll see. Maybe they uh, make a substitution and bring in Brendan mm. Aronson, but we'll see. Uh, but there's your World Cup update. Go out tomorrow and Wednesday, 11 a.m., uh, Parkway Tavern in the district. Brought to you by Finley Toyota. Coming up next, Steve Karp joins the show. From 67 yards, Tucker puts a foot to it. The 67-yard field goal is no good! No good! The Jaguars win it! What a win for Jackson!
Danville! It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Featuring All-American Lindsey Brown. Uh, we have Steve Carp on the phone. Before we get to Steve, some breaking news. Brett McMurphy tweeted out, Marcus Arroyo has been fired by UNLV. Uh, hmm. They are 5-7. and seven. They have a legitimate chance to go to a bowl game. Again, we talked about this earlier. Buffalo losing or New Mexico State not getting a game slash not getting a waiver to play an extra game this weekend. And UNLV would be eligible for a bowl game. But they have fired Marcus Arroyo after a five and seven season, uh, which I, I think is pretty shocking. I thought maybe if they lost to Nevada over the weekend, that this right. would be a, a realistic possibility. But at five and seven, that is fascinating. So joining us now is Steve Carp. Uh, Steve, I know you're at the UNLV game. How shocked are yeah. you that Marcus Arroyo is fired after winning that game? A little bit, only like like you, Tyler. I thought had they lost to Nevada, he would have probably been let go, but apparently it must be a rift between he and Eric Harper and the administration. Something that was amiss. And I talked to a couple of boosters earlier in the week uh, for my Sporting Tribune piece on, on UNLV football, and I asked them, is there any chance of Royals survives if they go to the Pac-12? And one of the boosters said, I'm not sure they're going to the Pac-12. And I said, why? <laughs> and they said, well, apparently there's some resistance within the Pac-12 to having UNLV replace UCLA or USC. And I said, all right, that aside, is Marcus Arroyo the guy to lead UNLV football if they were to move from the Mount West to the Pac-12? And he said, no. I said, then who are you hiring? He said, that's a good question. He said, you got to ask Eric Harper. <laughs> So Eric Harper must have been thinking about this for quite a while as the team was going through their losing streak through October and into uh, early November. So, yeah, the question is, there are they all, what, 75% of 3.16 million, Tyler? Does that sound right to you? Yes. Something like that? Yeah. Okay. So they're going to come up with that money. Obviously, they could take the money they made at Notre Dame and pay them off. But then, all right, who do you hire? All right, and and let's say you are going to get to the Pac-12 at some point. Do you have the money to hire the guy who can give you a chance to compete in football at the Pac-12? So that's that's going to be a great great topic for you and Ed and Lindsay you know, throughout the week and 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 going forward to see what happens. And maybe this is why UNLV is not going to a bowl game because maybe they knew all along that playing New Mexico State with a interim coach, if you will, against, by the way, a former coach in Tony Sanchez, who's at New Mexico State, might have been a little awkward. Uh, two key details. One, Marcus Arroyo's buyout is nullified as soon as Marcus Arroyo gets another job. So they would pay him what they 75% of what they would normally pay him each month. And then if he gets hired as an assistant coach at Oregon again or wherever, they do not have to pay him anymore. The buyout is officially done once he gets another job. Okay. And two, uh, apparently Eric Harper's having a press conference at 1030 this morning. They're supposed to be painting the cannon red at like <laughs> noon today on campus. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, can you? About no. UNLV when I, it comes to football. It's amazing. Uh, the timing is always awkward. <laughs> 
so, okay, I do want to ask you one other thing. Do you, the way you sort of phrase that there, talking about, you know, when you're talking to boosters, do you think Eric Harper fired Marcus Arroyo not so much because of this season, but because he was looking ahead to a potential Pac-12 invite? I think I think that may be due in part. I also may think they may not have a great relationship. And and remember, Harper didn't hire Marcus Arroyo. Desiree did. And maybe Desiree finds a landing spot for him at Missouri. I don't know. But I do. I've heard from other people that they don't have a great relationship. And perhaps going forward, Harper and Keith Whitfield, the president at UNLV, Maybe they're deciding, look, we need to find somebody we're all comfortable with. And, yeah, they made progress in terms of winning. You know, five wins is better than two. I mean, anybody can do that math. But, you know, and off the field, obviously, the APR is a positive thing. And it might, have even, it might still even get them into a game, a bowl game. But I think when you look at the overall climate, around Marcus and Royal. He doesn't have a great relationship with high school coaches in town. He has a horrible relationship with the media. Just ask Mike Ramallah. He'll tell you. And <laughs> overall, a lot of boosters are not big fans of Marcus and Royal. And, and you got to raise money, especially if you're going into the Pac-12 as Brazil just scored. No. Third minute. Oh, it's it's possible. <laughs> yes. Scoring in soccer. Lindsay, Lindsay's so go. mad about the lack of goals. Come on, Lindsay. Just... Well, he's a goalie. What do you expect? Exactly. <laughs> Test me, you Tyler. Should like it. No. You should like it. I want to be in the spotlight. I uh. want to be a reason why we won. And there's plenty of reasons why I asked you to ha- uh, be on the show today, Steve. You're a very kind and talented individual. But selfishly, I know that you're going to have my back on this. So I'm going to start with this question. Why do you think Bill Kessel is such an invaluable presence <laughs> to this Golden Knights roster. Just ask his teammates. Ask his coach. They love him in the room. He's a great person in their locker room. Everyone gets along with him. He's self-deprecating. He can take a joke. He can give one. He's competitive. And he doesn't complain about his ice time. He doesn't complain about who's on the line with him. You know, it's been kind of like a revolving door ever since Cassidy dropped him from playing with Riley Smith and and Jack Eichel to playing on third line, which really, you know, when you come down to it, it's more like a fourth line given the play of Wah, Carrier, and Colasar, who play more minutes and and obviously have produced more offensively. But I don't know what everyone's expectations of Phil Kessel were when the Knights signed him in August. I mean, he's got four goals in, in 23 games. So, Tyler, what does that come out to? About 14 goals, maybe, if he, you know, you know, goes the whole distance, which he probably will. I mean, is 14 goals for a third-line, fourth-line guy all that horrible? And the guy's 35? I don't know. Uh, the goals I, are not I horrible. Look, look if, if, if Brendan Brisson was so good – and he was ready to play the NHL. I can see where Tyler's coming from and, and put him in and, and just cut Phil Kessel and release him and let him try to find another team to play for. But right now, they don't have a whole lot of better options. Amadio has not played great, right? Howden's been hurt. Lecision has not really done much to where they could play him. So, I mean, 
you guys tell me what, what's the best option then. By the way, uh, thank you for uh, giving me that option. They should cut him. That way his streak can stay alive when he plays for another yeah. team. That's a, that's a exactly. way better idea. All right. That, thank you for uh, helping me add on to my point here. So, what they Tyler, should do. I understand where you've been coming from the entire season. I get it. From a, a metrics and an analytics standpoint, he has not performed great. Okay? He, he leads the team in plus, minus, and minus four. among. I think it's all players, not just forwards. Right? So even if you believe in plus, minus, which I'm not a big proponent of because you can do your job, and if your teammates don't do theirs and the other team scores, you get penalized for it. And vice versa, you don't do squad offensively, and the puck hits Chandler Stevenson and the button goes in, you get credit for a plus. <laughs> Facts. So plus minus is kind of a bogus stat. But that being said, I understand where you've been coming from on Phil Castle all along. I just think there's more to it than numbers that define his role with the Golden Knights. I think the problem for the Golden Knights, and we've seen this when they're on the road, the third line gets hunted. When they're out there, the other team puts out their top line and they get beat pretty badly. That leads Bruce Cassidy to not playing his third line. I can't remember which game it was. Phil Kessel played 38 seconds in a third period. Uh, was the was Van- it in Edmonton? Uh, it, was, it was the Vancouver game where they gave up the lead okay. and then came back and oh, got it. Oh, in Vancouver, yeah. right. And okay. to me, the, the question is how sustainable is it to not play your third line? which is effectively what happens in a lot of these games. Now, I agree with your point. There's not a clear option, right? There's not an obvious, oh, this guy's uh, sitting in the press box because Phil Kessel. It's not like they've got a great player there, but I don't know how sustainable it is for them to just not use a third line in big portions of games over the course of an entire season. Yeah, well, you, like I said, you could argue that Watt Carrier and, and Colts are, are right. Vegas's true third line. You know, because I think their minutes are a little bit right. Uh, their TOI is a little bit uh, higher than that of Kessel, Amadio, Howden, um, and uh, Connor. So, I mean, you could kind of make that argument that technically he's really a fourth line guy playing fourth line minutes. And if that's the case, if you're getting 14 goals out of a fourth line guy, <laughs> I think most coaches would say, all right, I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. Hey, and th- as long as he's not causing me problems in the room and he's not a bad influence, you know, with his teammates and a cancer, I'm okay with that. And I think Cassidy has handled the room very well, by the way. If you if you talk to some of the players, and, I, you know, when I talk to Jonathan Marcuso, and I say, hey, how different is the room with Cassidy? And, and with Kessel and with Eichel now kind of acclimated to being here in Vegas, he goes, it's like night and day. I said, is it like it was the first couple of years? He goes, very similar, except we don't have flower, he said. And, you know, because Fleury, obviously, and by the way, happy birthday to Marc-Andre Fleury today, 38 yeah. years old. But, when Fleury was obviously in the room, you know, the prankster that he is and the practical joker and, of course, the leader, the unsung leader when they didn't have a captain, he was basically in charge of that room. So uh, I think with Kessel, they're going to hang on to him, Tyler. I know you're not happy about it, but <laughs> Lindsay and I will probably stand on this hill and say he's the important 
what the Golden Knights are collectively. All right, Steve, we got to let you go because we got to hopefully call Ed Graney when he lands at the airport. Yes, I want to hear what he has to say about the Royal B. We'll see if he's actually off the plane yet. Uh, He is Steve Karp. Uh, Again, follow him on Twitter at Steve Karp. Uh, What is it, 65 or 55? 56. 56. I'm dyslexic. Thanks, Steve. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Hey. So, Steve Karp, at Steve Karp56 on Twitter. All right, we'll see if we talk to Ed coming up next. But first, we got tickets to give away. If. You want to go see Luke Bryan, 702-364 is the phone number. Be caller number 11 at 702-364-1100. Luke Bryan at Resorts World on December 7th. You're locked in the press box. Marcus Arroyo has been fired as UNLV's head coach. Uh, What I thought was interesting is the uh, press release that UNLV put out. The statement from Eric Harper, the athletic director, said after, you know, uh, some thank you for your time here. He said, however, with our increased expectations at UNLV, we felt the change was in order at this time. What increased expectations? What, you mean the ones that Arroyo brought forth with the early season success? Or are you talking about Pac-12 dreaming? I don't, Steve Carp, we just talked to him. That was an interesting angle. The idea of, uh, are they joining the Pac-12? Could they join the Pac-12? And is Marcus Aurelio the right coach for when they're in the Pac-12? That's an interesting angle. I don't think they're going to the Pac-12. No. Uh, and I... D- Maybe they got somebody on the line, though. And that's the other part. Who takes the UNLV job? Do you look at the UNLV job as attractive? A desirable location to set up shop. You do, (laughs) like, you can sell it on, oh, look at the facility. You Mm -hmm. play in an NFL stadium. They were paying Marcus Arroyo $1.5 million, so it's not like you can conceivably pay the coach that much money again. So there there are things to point out about UNLV that's, that's good, but at the same time, UNLV has been bad for a long time. They hired the high school football coach and Tony Sanchez never went to a bowl game. They hired the um, offensive assistant from Oregon. Couldn't go to a bowl game. Right. I guess technically they hired the quarterback whisperer from Oregon. Are they going to a bowl game now this year? Like, does this, does this eliminate them from like, are they going to decline it? uh, Alvarez every uh, hold on. No, no, they, they can, but are they going to decline it? Like you, they don't. Nobody has to go to a bowl game. They can get invited yeah. to a bowl game and say, say no. no, thank you. Are they going to decline it? Like if they end up getting a chance to go to a, the Myrtle Beach Bowl and play, I don't know, Troy or somebody like that, are they going to say no, thank you? We fired I mean, our coach. I feel like so. Oh, I was going to say according to a tweet by Brett McMurphy, uh, he said that. Sources have said they most likely will deny or decline a bowl. If they are offered. I also have sources that say keep an eye on Gary Patterson, the former TCU coach, to replace Arroyo. What is he doing right now? On it. Is he unemployed? Gary Patterson. Well, I was like, well, isn't TCU good this year? So it's obviously not their head coach. No, no, like, Sonny, you know what? Sonny We're going to take a step up and go to UNLV. <laughs> no offense. He's a special assistant to the head coach at the University of Texas. 
that's not even a real coaching job. No, Special it is not. Assistant. That's the that's, yeah, that's, that's the, what Matt Patricia is to Bill Belichick. Yeah, yeah. That's in, a, this is my buddy. Can we in, get him a paycheck? In college, there's limits on how many assistant coaches you can have. So when they want to hire somebody new, they make them the special assistant. Yeah. And they're they're not allowed to coach. Teams get in trouble because the special assistant ends up on the field like mm-hmm. teaching a drill and that's against the rules. But yeah. Um all right, that's a fun first name. Gary yeah. Patterson. Something that I'm curious but about him. He wanted, I, he's probably getting paid more as the specialist. Yeah, but does it, he wants the power and control, though. Most of those guys do. They I want don't. to run their own operation. You're getting, you're getting fired in three years. Well, you get three years <laughs> right, of a paycheck. You get to run your own show. If it's not, you're like, you're not on the ascension in your coaching career. I mean, it's not that bad of a gig. Uh, I will say this. I am shocked that they fired Marcus Arroyo mm-hmm. after going five and seven. Um, he... I will say this. He set the expectations low for this season. He took over a program that had won four games, won zero, then won two in his first two seasons. So he shattered any expectations they had. Uh, But five and seven is one of like the three best seasons they've had in two decades. Right. Uh, I'm surprised they fired him. I don't think it's the wrong move because regardless of the Pac-12 thing, if you're looking ahead to the future, I do honestly believe you can hire a better coach than Arroyo. He's not actually good at the head coaching part of college football. He mm. doesn't have good game management. His quarterbacks have been atrocious with the exception of five games of Doug Brumfield. And he's supposed to be the quarterback's coach. He's supposed to be the guy that develops quarterbacks. I do not think this was the wrong decision. I think it was the right decision and you can do better than Marcus Arroyo. But I am still surprised they did it after a five and seven season because that's good for you and LV.